You are listening to the Apex Hour, hosted by Ryan Paul on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This show allows more personal time with our guests, allowing them to give us their stories and opinions. We will also give you new music to listen to, hoping you enjoy some new sounds and genres. Welcome to this episode of the Apex Hour. My name is Reese Whitaker, the radio engineer for the Apex Hour right here on KSUU FM Thunder 91.1 Cedar City. And I turn the floor over to the executive producer, Sophie. Thanks, Reese. I'm Sophia Javaj, and I'm joined with Apex Director and Professor of History, Ryan Paul, and our special guest, Javon Johnson. I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Ryan. Thank you, Sophie. We are uh, excited to have you here. Uh, Javon, thank you for being here on the Apex Radio Hour. Thank you, thank you. Uh, We've had an amazing experience today listening to you do some poetry, some poetry readings. But let's, let's start with kind of a how we got to now maybe you could just introduce yourself a little bit and tell us kind of where how you got to where you are yeah i'm going to try to make this story as short as possible because you're (laughs) you're asking me a story that spans more than two decades now and obviously we don't have two (laughs) decades of time um but uh you know I, i started writing poetry in high school because there was a a classmate of mine who at the time I thought was very attractive who asked, uh, she came up to me out of nowhere and was like, hey, I heard you write poems. And I was like, what? And I was before I could tell her it was uh, stupid and that I don't write poems, she was like, it's so sexy, you write poems. So of course, you know, uh, me being me was like, yeah, what's up, uh, girl? You know I write poems, I'm, I'm, I'm him. Um, and so uh, long story short, that night I went, I went home and I, I, I wrote the first uh, love poem, which I'm certain was awful. She loved it and the other girls around high school loved it and then so the guys around high school started paying paying me money to to, to write poems for them, right? so they could ask uh, girls in high school out via uh, uh, homecoming, you know, Valentine's Day, birthdays, whatever. They would literally give me like five, ten dollars. It was great. Um, a young entrepreneur, if you will. And so what ends up happening, long story short, is that I learned that there was power in my voice, that people wanted to hear what I had to say. And I began to write about things that existed beyond sort of, can I take you out on a date? Um, and I began to write about uh, the things that were around me, be it gang violence, be it police brutality, be it poverty, drug addiction. I began to write about a lot of the stuff that I saw uh, that I didn't know how to name, but I knew that uh, felt true in my bones. Um, and I just kept writing. And then when I got to college, uh, I had started doing speech and debate in high school, and then I got to college and I kept doing it. And one of my competitors, actually, shout out to Armando, Armando Roman. Uh, Armando was like, hey, man, I know you write poems. Let me take you to a poetry spot in L.A. And we went to this spot that was actually in Silver Lake, which at that time, that neighborhood was largely Latinx, right? And it was ran by a a poet named Jerry Quigley. Uh, It was called 33 and a Third. It was in a a record shop, hence, you know, 33 and a Third. Um, And it was there that I ran into two poets who I I still keep in touch with today, Uh, Sekou Andrews. He was actually Grammy-nominated this year. Shout out to Sekou. um, and then a uh, best kept Corey Corey best kept Kofer. And they were like, you're ready to go to the lounge, right? And the lounge is the largest weekly open mic poetry venue uh, in the world, right? So there are larger monthly venues, there are larger annual annual venues, there are larger semi-annuals, but there is no larger monthly venue than this. They bring in around 300 people a week to listen to poetry. And that's where I made my chops. Uh, I started doing poems around other poets. So I was listening to them, talking with them. And there, that's when I met 
folks like Sheehan, you know, uh, other folks who were really important to my own upbringing uh, as a poet. But Sheehan was probably, not even probably, Sheehan was the most important. And it was just really, really incredible to be in that space. And he was the one that sort of really ushered in this sort of professionalization of spoken word. He ended up creating a, an agency of which I was uh, under for a while and a number of other things. And so all of that to say, I began touring professionally as a poet somewhere around 2006, 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. Um, and it just sort of took off from there and just kept at it. So I, I want to talk about your, your academic career here in a minute, but really what's in my mind is that there was some Oakland, California high school kid named Javan Johnson, who was really the poet, right? And they just confused the two of you? Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, uh, we got confused by them Oakland people. Uh, we, you know, uh, yeah, Oakland's our cousins from L.A. But but yeah, we, we got confused. But yeah, so yeah. it's an interesting thing. I don't know where she got that from in reality. I to every now and then I think about it like, where 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 did she come up with that? That's wild. But thank you. It's interesting how those some of those little things just kind of set the course of our somebody wanders into your life and plants a seed that grows into a. A gigantic Yeah, tree. she inceptioned me. There That's what go. happened. She got into my <laughs> yeah. dreams and inceptioned me. There you me. go. So let's start, if we could. Can we hear one of your one of your poems? Sure. I'm going to read something from the book. I don't often read these out loud, so it's always good to be able to read these. It's called Unlearning Freedom. The first time I slow danced with a girl was at a backyard party in South Central. It was a sweaty night, and the air was too thick for anything but a slow song. I wore my flyest silk shirt. A thin gold chain that danced around my neck as if it understood the music more than I did. I had a cup full of Hawaiian punch and seven up in my right hand. My back was up against the wall. I was watching all those black kids just learning to get free. Quiet as it kept, uh, I was always afraid of dancing, of girls. But just then, SWV's week came on and Tasha yelled, this is my song, as if she wrote it. And to this day, I still want to believe her. Tasha a dark-skinned black girl who wore thick scrunchy so socks, airbrushed t-shirts, hoops, who kept her ponytail to the right side of her head. A few weeks earlier, Oatmeal told me Tasha liked me, and I came to the party to show her how cool I was. Our friends forced us together, and as she swayed her hips, Oatmeal grabbed me and made me move mine. He whispered in my ear, you got this? Once everyone stopped watching me fumble my way through the song, Tasha told me to keep my hands around her hips. She held me and carefully taught me how to feel the beat, how to feel the rhythm, you know, how to move. Thank you. What was the name of that poem? On Learning Freedom. On Learning Freedom, from, from your new book, Ain't Never Not Been Black. Yes. So are, are the poems, when you, autobiographical, right? I mean, this is this a, how much of your work is autobiographical and how much is... You just kind of go with it. To my knowledge, 100% autobiographical. But the, the, the thing about memory is that when we remember a thing, we remember it, right? So we're putting it back together the best way we know how. So I imagine uh, it's not 100% accurate. But to my knowledge, I'm not like I'm not going in making stuff up in my head. That's precisely what happened. But I also imagine that in someone else's head who was there, they're like, eh, it probably didn't happen that way. Yeah. I think that's, I'm always curious how that, how does your process work that way? I mean, mm -hmm. do you, are you sitting down one day and all of a sudden say, Hey, I remember this and, and pull something out or. Yeah. No, for me, it's more of a, like a, a kind of creative interrogation. So like I, 
there are stories that stick with me that I can't let go for some reason. And I use poetry as a means to try to like interrogate why it stick with me, like why it sticks with me, like the stick to itness of it all. And so like me writing about it is an attempt to dig into that, that, that stickiness of the story. Why won't, why won't it let me go the way other things in my life has, right? Like other, there's all kind of things I just don't remember. Like that's just how, you just don't have the capacity to remember everything that's ever happened to you. And so, you know, they're, they're, why, why did this story go away, but this one did not? And so I use the poetry as a means to interrogate it. Do, do you ever use poetry as a form of catharsis to, to exercise, not exercise like, you know, exercise like exercise a demon or mm-hmm. that kind of thing to to heal or to to repent or forgive. Yeah, no, absolutely. I you know most of the poems. You know, I have a a a difficult, if non-existent, relationship with my biological father. Most of the stuff, like uh, people get me wrong as it pertains to him. I love that man dearly, and I wish him well. Uh, a lot of the poems in there is an attempt to dig at and exercise the issues that we have in our relationship. So most of my stuff about him is around that kind of attempt to exercise, attempt to heal, attempt to move on, um, attempt to sort of deal the best way in which I know how. So how how do you do stuff like that without it being work? Does that make sense? I mean, like sometimes, like it seems to me when I when I've seen you perform and heard you work, your it, it it's it flows and it moves, and I know there's a lot of actual work behind there, but but in the process of creation, do you ever just say, "Boy, this one's just too much work"? No, my my favorite ones are the ones that's too much work. It lets me know that I'm I'm getting at a thing. If it, you know what I mean, like. How can I put this? You know, often to say without trying to give a metaphor around it or a different story. My favorite ones are the ones that are that are work. Make no mistake, even the things that 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 appear natural is is work. It, it, there's work that went into it. You know, I guess a, a really good example would be like a a Steph Curry shot. Man makes that thing look so effortless. There's massive amounts of work that goes into that. Yeah, and it, yeah. And, it, and I'm not saying I'm the Steph Curry of poetry. That would be madness <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I think of myself highly but not like that but yeah <laughs> it's wild I am the LeBron of this well we'll uh we'll think about that and come back to it later maybe about which uh which NBA person you are in the world Kobe. of poetry Kobe. Yeah, there you go so one of the things we like to do is, as we've mentioned to you in the Apex Radio Hour is ask our guests what some songs that resonate with them mm-hmm. and uh, for our break. So we're going to go into our first break. And one of the songs that the song we're going to play is Can We Talk by Tevin Campbell. And I'm wondering, why did you choose this one? So we talk a lot about how 90s hip hop affected and affects uh, black masculinity. And I just don't think we talk enough about how 90s R&B does, too, as if they're not two sides of the same coin. As if we didn't have a bunch of crooning black males and and boys and men asking to be loved, asking to be held, asking to be tender. Uh, Tevin Campbell's Can We Talk is quite literally a beautiful lesson in consent. Can we talk? And and while we want to harp a lot on the violence of hip hop, I never want to dismiss the way in which uh, black male R&B of the 90s poured, poured, poured just gallons of love 
Super cool. Let's hear Can We Talk by Tevin Campbell.
That was Can We Talk by Tevin Campbell. You're listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on Thunder 91. I'll turn it back over to you, Ryan. Thanks, Sophie. We are here today with Dr. Javon Johnson. He is uh, an associate professor and director of African-American and African Diaspora Studies at UNLV. That's the University of Nevada Las Vegas. He holds a PhD from Northwestern in performance studies with uh, concentrations in gender studies and African-American studies. And we are so grateful we're here. He's the author of three books, by the way, including his most recent, Ain't Never Not Been Black. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is your first book of published poems. Yes, it is. It is. So we're, uh, we've, we've been having a great conversation about poetry and other things. Will you uh, give us another poem, please? Oh, indeed. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out which one. I think. I think I'm going to do this one. Everyone had nicknames where I grew up. There was Banos, Big Brown, Cheese, Crook, E Love, Pep, Spooky Blood. Blank was a killer, and a hood pharmacist. We grew up in church together. He and I. His grandmother was strict. He was such a good boy on Sundays. What is it for black boys to live two lives when the world does not want us to live one? Thank you for that. And you had mentioned that uh, this idea of growing up in church, that your stepfather was a pastor. Mm-hmm. So were you, was your family active in that, that, or was there some pushback from you as a kid or? So I, I grew up in the church. I, I was one of those kids that, you know, I was probably in church easily three days a week on the low end. That was like a chill week. <laughs> it was like chill, chill. You know, we, you know, I was in the youth choir. I was on the youth usher board, youth Bible school. There was Sunday morning school. There was actual church. And then black church is a thing. Um, black church on Sundays is not in an hour or two. It's it's an all day event. You, you get there at like nine in the morning for Sunday school. Depending on everything, because you, then you have church, and then after church, they feed everybody, and then you either visit another church, or you have churches come visit you for, like, revivals, and then a revival. Like, you you could be at church, if, if you're black, <laughs> on a Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. easy, without a, pro- without a break. It's like, uh, I think it's time. <laughs> I used to joke uh, with my parents. I was like, mm, God probably said, get out today. <laughs> He's yeah. like, get out, leave me alone. Uh, we're, we're asking for too much today. Um, but I, I say all of that to say um, my mother was really good um, because as I begin to question things, she gave me the space to ask the kind of questions that I needed to ask to be secure in who it is that I am. So my mother gave me the, the real opportunity, like when I was in high school, to ask if I was going to keep going that much or was I going to to sort of not go as much? Um, and and I think that that was beautiful. It wasn't easy for her when I when I scaled back. Um, it wasn't easy for my stepfather as I scaled back. But the fact that they gave me the space to do so, I think, was necessary and wonderful. Did they ask that you fill that with something else? No, that, you know, don't go, but but fill it with something, or you just. Now I, w- I was a good kid. Um, shout out to me um, in the. <laughs> I was a perfect child. No, uh, I was not. But no, I was a good kid. And, I, you know, like what I was doing football. And if I wasn't in football, I was doing speech and debate. And if I wasn't doing speech and debate, I was in choir at school. If I wasn't in choir at school, I was doing theater stuff. If I wasn't doing, like, I was always doing something that it was like, ah, we're proud of him. Leave him alone. He's chilling in the world. Was there ever a, 
you know, I, I, in my work and research on the black church, there's oftentimes this idea of the lyrical nature of sermons and and uh, almost the performance of, there of religions. Performances. Were was that ever an inspiration to you as you yes. think about your performance space now? Yes, <laughs> yeah. So some of my first or like part of it is you have to understand like I'm I'm night in and or weekly seeing really good orders do do what orders do right and so you know i got to watch like i i remember <laughs> there was this one preacher i can't remember his name because he was from a visiting church but he would come every now and then i used to love when he finished his stuff because he used to be like you know he had his whole spiel he and he would come up with new ones and i was like excited to see him he was like god is like tide he'll get the stains out god <laughs> is like windex he'll wipe you clean god is i was like oh he's coming up with more today let's ah i used to i used to love watching this dude but it's also a play with language, right? There's poetry in that, right? There's also a play in not just voice, but there is a play with voice, a play with cadence, but there's also a play with making language do all the things language does. And I got to watch that every week and watch different people do it. Chorus that played its role, uh, played a huge role into how I think about how speech functions. It's interesting that we, there was just, it was Valentine's Day recently and, I had watched this thing about what makes a good love song, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, will they ever go out of style? And, and it was Diane Warren who said, well, I mean, no, we all have the same notes, but we can all put them together in infinite ways. And it's very similar. This There's only 26 letters of of the English alphabet, but there are infinite combinations in which to connect and put those together. Yeah. Right? But it's not just putting the words together in the right space on the page, it's putting the words together in the right inflection of the voice and, yeah. and how that works. The- yeah, I'm trying to think of it. I, I can't think of it, but they, they made a movie about, I think it was the guy who uh, created the uh, automatic wiper. Yes. And uh, and they were trying not to give him credit. Greg Kinnear his, was the star of yes, that movie. Yes, 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 yes. And they were trying not to give him credit for it, and the, 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 the car companies didn't want to pay him for his invention. And I think the lawyer made the argument is that we all have access to the same letters, but we don't tell the poet that that's not his or her poem. Right. Because of how they manipulated the thing themselves. Yeah, that's a good, that's a yeah. interesting So thought. it's similar. It, it, it's very similar. So who... Who inspires you? Who who have you been your inspirations in that world? Poetry or language or whatever. You name it. Like I I love rappers, old and new. I was just telling the class earlier, like I I even listen to like uh battle rap, right? Right, like and it's violent and I'm like, am I tired of these guys talking about guns all the time? Sure. Do I think it's pretty fresh that they could come up with new ways to talk about guns on a regular basis? Sure. I think it's creative. And I'm very caught up in, in the creative function of it. Rappers that I grew up listening to that are, have profound um, influences on me, uh, you know, Tupac, uh, you know, uh, Jay-Z. Um, I mean, there, there, there are tons. Even, you know, he's on a whole different level now, but Kanye West, early Kanye was profound. Andre 3000. When Andre 3000 in the nineties said, I've been going through the same things that he had. True. I got more fans than the average man, but not enough loot to last me to the end of the week. I live by the beat. Like you live check to check. If you don't move your feet, then I don't eat. So we like neck to neck. It, it just the, the, the cleverness of that is it so good. But poets, I love Pablo Neruda, love Langston. Um, I love what uh, Zorno Hurston does with words and language. I, I, 
I'm, I'm just sort of going back. I love uh, Amiri Baraka. I love his anger. I love the way Pablo Neruda makes love feel like a palpable thing that I could taste, touch, and eat, right? I love how people make use of, of, of words. Um, and so if somebody's using words in a way, I love Malcolm X. If there, there's poetry in, in, in much of what he says, right? Like if you listen to those speeches or King's alliteration, right? Like there's so many people that I have listened to over the course of my life that have had profound effects on how it is that I think about art and even contemporary poets, even friends now. I look at friends who do things and I'm like, I'm mad at you that you wrote that before I could. Where then, I'm just thinking about the title of your book, Ain't Never Not Been Black. I mean, where does that come from? In that so experience? on some level, it's how black people use negatives in language, right? So ain't never not, right? So three negatives, right? Um, but it's also how we talk, right? Like, you know, I ain't never not done that, right? I ain't never, right? Or, you know, um, double negatives and triple negatives. We, we do it all the time, which again, is I think another way in which we, I've grown up listening to people make language do things it wasn't necessarily intended to do. And that to me is a poetry. But then it was also a friend of mine, a poet, Imani Cezanne, shout out to Imani. Um, we were talking, I, I, was, I forget the name that I was gonna give this book and I don't know what we were talking about, but she and I joke a lot, we laugh a lot, very silly. And I said something. She was like, right. And I was like, child, I, and I told her, I said something. I was like, I ain't never not been black. She was like, ooh, I like that. Let's, let's tie it. I said, done deal. How was the process in selecting which poems are going to go in that book? Ooh, that was a while ago now. So I'm trying to think. Part of it is I wanted to have a mixture of things that I had written a while ago and some new stuff. I wanted a mixture of things so that, you know, poets are very interesting, right? Like contemporary poets are, will say things like, you know, well, that's an old poem. And I'm like, and? You know, I, I would be upset if I went to a, a music artist concert and they're like, oh, I'm not doing any of the old stuff. It's like, if you don't play the hits and stop playing with me before I get my money back, right? I, I do think there's a way in which people want the hits. Right. So a part of me, for lack of a better way of putting it, wanted to put some of the hits in. But I also wanted to provide um, some newer works that were created specifically for this and tried to create, uh, I think, or at least I hope, I hope a cohesive narrative around this concept of of blackness in the moment in which I was writing it. Blackness uh, from from Los Angeles, right? Because this is very South Central specific at times. Right. So kind of blackness as I saw fit. So in this in this book. It spans the work of a decade. I mean, what would you? Yeah. Would you? Would you add or take away? I mean, is there a poem that you now think back and say that should have gone in there? Or that's for the next book. Yeah, next book. I can publish more. Like I don't. I don't think a lot about that kind of. That's yeah. I, I mean, I, I get the 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 value in that. I get the desire in that. But for me, it's like, oh, I'll create something new. I'll create something again. It doesn't. If it didn't make it, it didn't make it. If something else could have made it great, if something, it's not the end of the world. And how do you balance the the work of your poetry with with the other work of academia, of academic research and, and writing and those kinds of things? Because your other books have really been more academically mm -hmm. focused, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I don't know. I just kind of create and go in the world and say, it'll find a place. I don't, I, I, People ask me things. I'm like, I wish I had a more 
clever answer. I wish I had a better, this is how you do it answer. I just kind of create in the world and find a home for it. I, the first book is about poetry communities, but it's very sort of academically written. The second book uses poetry communities. I write the intro and the preface and let the poets write the poetry in that. Um, and then the third book, which is this one, is my, my book of poems. Um, I'm currently working on two academic texts right now, um, and I'm working on another book of poems that probably neither of which will see the light hopefully 2024 at the earliest, but probably won't be till 2025. Who knows? I'm out here chilling and just producing things and, and, and then we'll find it a home once it, once it becomes what it, what it needs to become. It's pretty, uh, that's a pretty profound answer there. I thought it was lazy. <laughs> no. Well, that's the difference, I guess, between you and I, uh, because you are profound and I am lazy. No, no, so I, there we go. No, no. Uh, let's move on to our next break. So this is a song, uh, the title's Changes from Tupac featuring Talent. Do you want to give us a lead into this? Yeah, Tupac was easily the most profound rapper for me. The way in which he toggles between thug and and activist I thought was very fascinating I I have always I don't I don't even think he's the best lyricist he's not even top anything lyrical wise for me but he was a poet I think the passion that he puts in his lyrics is 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 amazing I think he was able to talk about emotions that rappers weren't talking about in the 90s things like changes songs like dear mama and there's others that I could think of uh, in name but the way in which he moved back and forth between that space speaks to sort of the complexities of human and he gave voice I think to frustrations, to anxieties, to concerns that I and many other people had at the time in a way that just was a ball of passion. So I had to include something. There were some other songs I wanted to include, but I knew they wouldn't have cleared. So, <laughs> But this was one of them. This was one of them. So, so let's listen to Changes from uh, Tupac featuring Talent. In the morning and I ask myself It's like worth living, should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch Cops give a damn about a need, bro Pull a trigger, kill him, he's a heat, bro Get a to the kids who the hell cares One less hungry mouth on the welfare First ship him, don't let him deal with brothers Give him guns, step back, watch him kill each other It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere Unless we share with each other we gotta start making changes Learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers And that's how it's supposed to be How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids But then it changed That's the way it is Come on, come on That's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is Oh yeah That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, 
Changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist. We under. I wonder what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the waste. Take the evil out the people. They'll be acting right. Cause both black and white and smoke tonight. And the only time we chill is when we kill each other. It takes skill to be real time to heal each other. And although it seems evident, we ain't ready to see a black president. Uh, it ain't a secret. Don't conceal the fact. The penitentiary's packed and it's filled with blacks. But some things will never change. Try to show another way, but staying in the dope game. Now tell me what's a mother to do. Being real don't appeal to the brother in you. You gotta operate the easy way. I made a G today. But you made it in a sleazy way. Selling it back to the kids. I gotta get paid. Well, hey, well, that's the way it is. Come on. Come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh yeah. Oh come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh yeah. We gotta make a change. It's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat, let's change the way we live, and let's change the way we treat each other. You see, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we gotta do to survive. And still I see no changes, can a brother get a little peace? It's war on the streets and a war in the Middle East. Instead of war on poverty, they got a war on drugs so the police can bother me. And I ain't never did a crime, I ain't have to do. But now I'm back with the box, giving it back to you. Don't let them jack you up, back you up, crack you up, and pips back you up. You gotta learn to hold your own They get jealous when they see you with your mobile phone But tell the cops I can't touch this I don't trust this When they try to rush, I bust this That's the sound number two You say it ain't cool But mama didn't raise no fool And as long as I stay black I gotta stay strapped And I never get to lay back Cause I always gotta worry about the payback Some buck that I roughed up way back Coming back after all these years Right, tat, 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 tat That's the way it is uh. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. You're my brother, you're my sister. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Something will never change. That was Changes by Tupac. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU, Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thank you, Sophie. We are with uh, Dr. Javon Johnson uh, from uh, Professor of UNLV and also uh, a world-famous <laughs> spoken word poet, right? Not famous, but I want to be black famous. Want to be? There you go. <laughs> Which is the most important kind of famous, right? <laughs> So let's, uh, if we could, hear one more poem. Yeah, so I'm going to, the reason why I mentioned the Black Famous, I, you know, I'm going to read, the, I have a faux haiku series called Black Famous, because uh, there is a thing about being Black Famous. It, it's the kind of fame that mostly black people go, mm, I know this guy was in something, but other racial and ethnic groups don't know because you're not watching the black movies. So Black Famous, a faux haiku series. I just want to be Black Famous with a show on BET, you know, Black Famous 2. Perhaps I could be number two 
or three on the barbershop posters. Black famous number three. One day I'll show up to see cats on Broadway and yell, what's good, N-words. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Black famous four. Uh, not too famous, though. I don't want to be a hashtag. No Twitter coffins. Black famous five. Not too famous, though. I just want people to think he's familiar. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, <laughs> the, as we've been talking and listening and, and, and reading some of your poems and, and having listening to you today, earlier today, and by the way, your, your presentation will be up on the Apex website here in a week or two, so I encourage you to, to look at that. There are a couple themes that come out. You've referred to yourself as a love poet, yes. for one. And secondly, you've talked a lot about food, and I really liked the line earlier today about the sanctity of the taco truck. Mm -hmm. so, so can you talk a little about those themes together? Yeah, so so much of like my upbringing, like the happiest moments of my life have been around family and food, right? I think about my grandfather who was known for his smoked ribs, who was known for smoked turkeys, who made pumpkin pie from scratch, who made in his his mind the best uh, peach cobbler on this side of the Mississippi. I think about my grandmother and her chili beans. I think about my grandmother and her fried chicken. I think about my great, my, my granny on my father's side who had this amazing chocolate cake. I think about my uncle who made his own barbecue from scratch. Um, barbecue sauce, I mean, from scratch, who also made his own wine. He was a very interesting man. Uh, he let me taste a glass and it was terrible. Uh, but uh, he thinks it was good. I was like, this is not it. But I, I say all of that to say so much of these really big moments in my life involved uh, familial gatherings and food and lots of food. And the importance of being a good cook was a theme in my family. Right. Um, you know, uh, and, 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 and so as I've gotten older, I began to learn how to cook myself. Um, and I try to make really, really good meals. Shout out to my wife for tasting things that I don't know is going to be good, but we find out together. And sometimes, most of the times, yes, but sometimes it's no, and we eat it anyway. Sometimes and it's your uncle's wine. I've That's never. Not it. I have never. First off, the fermentation process is just, it, it, I don't have the per, per, uh, patience for it. But, but I say all of that to say, I also love going out and eating good, good food. Like I, I like, and, and for me, that can mean anywhere from a hole in the wall. It can mean a taco truck. There is, I have never tasted better tacos than taco trucks. I don't care what restaurant you take me to. It's all irrelevant. If it ain't a taco truck, it, it's, it's not of God for me. And, and the taco trucks are holy. They're a place of spiritual depth and you get fed and you feel warm inside and it's mm, and you wash it down with a with a jaritos. I prefer pineapple. Uh, others might prefer a different flavor. All of that's fine. But you get yourself three to five tacos. You get you some, some red sauce, some green sauce and you get a jaritos. And mm. that was one of my first dates with my wife. We went to go get some tacos from a taco truck. Like I was showing off. I was like, let me show you where this taco truck. <laughs> it's so good. And it was successful. Yes. When you refer to yourself, I mean, I, I, I understand the idea of, of food and and bringing back these kinds of familiar memories. Uh, what at what point 
why do you refer to yourself then as a love poet? I mean, some of your poems are uh, intense, mm-hmm. I guess, and speaking from your experience. But I, I liked what you said earlier today about about love, future love, right? This idea of better, being better. Can you expound on that? Yeah, I, I always tell people I'm a love poet because I've started out writing love poems, and even the things that I write about. It, it wasn't, it's not simply a critique of, let's say, poverty. It's not simply a critique of, let's say, uh, you know, uh, systemic disenfranchisement. It really is the desire for a better and more just and more ethical world, a kind of world that I think we can all love and embrace. And so I'm writing towards that world. Um, and so what, what, what undergirds my issue is the love for something better. Yeah. And it seems that, that also that requires accountability, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, from not only from you, but from other people as well is recognizing that I think we go through life thinking that if I say I need to be better, that somehow I'm saying that I'm bad, mm-hmm. but it's okay to say, I can be better, right? I mean, that's the whole point of life. If you believe in a fundamental Christian faith tradition, the whole point is, is that you're better today than you were yesterday. Sure. And and and, and certainly, you know, uh, Christianity has had a profound impact on my own understanding of ethics and justice. I, yes, it is accountability. Like I, I talk, I was just having this conversation with my wife like last week where I was like, I do think, I don't think you're necessarily bad, but I think it's okay to say I'm bad at something, right? Like I'm bad at things and that's okay to say. Um, but it's in that naming that I get to recognize where I stand, which then tells me how and where I should move forward. But if I don't, if I don't name that, then there's no place for me to move to. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, the, the power of naming something mm-hmm. in that you, you make very strong distinctions in your work between your father and your stepfather. Mm-hmm. Right, that there's a there's a difference between these two, mm-hmm. but they both seem to have taught you something. Mm-hmm. Sure, is that fair to say? They both have taught me about accountability. They to- both have taught me about how to be a man, what kind of man I should be. Um, albeit very different kinds of lessons. Albeit, my stepfather was one that was filled with a, a, a love. He was very strict. Um, he got much softer towards the end of his life, uh, as we kind of often do. There was this way in which it was really interesting to see him uh, go from this really strong and tough man who used to move congregations to this man that was unable to move himself out of the bed, um, who needed assistance, that I had to assist him at times. And it was a, it was this very profound exchange, right? It was tough, um, but it was an experience that I, I, don't, I don't ever want to forget. Right, that I helped him out of bed, that I helped bathe him at one point. Right, that 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 means something to me because he also helped me out of things. He also helped me care for me. Right, and who are we if not reciprocal beings? Right, who are we if we're not together in that kind of kind of way? Uh, my father's relationship and I, my, my biological father, is much more complex than that. I, I mostly learned from him who I did not want to be. Um, and, and that's, you know, is what it is. I, I, I pray for him on a regular basis. I, I, I wish him well, um, but, but that's where we stand. But both are lessons nonetheless. I, I want to refer to uh, the philosopher Chancellor Bennett, also known as Chance the Rapper, who uh, in a song with uh, Cardi B says, uh, I turned all of my L's into lessons. And I think there's a way in which we can do that.
with introspection and honesty with introspection with honesty with 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 with, with self assessment with whatever the case requires in that moment but sure i don't i don't shy away from saying i messed up here i don't shy away from saying i'm terrible right here i don't i don't shy away from those things i own them and i think it's partially how i grow yeah and i think that's interesting how we define you know when when we say i love you that that doesn't also doesn't necessarily mean that I like you in some ways or instances or that I, you know, there's a difference. You know, love means something much. Love deeper. and like are very different. Right. And it means something much deeper than just, Hey, you're okay. I always tell people, I don't think this is a quick aside. Cause I know we're talking about something else, but look, I tell people all of the time, like is underrated in romantic relationships. I had to figure out if I liked my wife and the easiest way for me to figure that out was I, <laughs> We just sat in her studio apartment almost for a week and did nothing. We didn't go anywhere. We just kind of watched TV. We read. We cooked. I was like, this was a vibe. I could do this for a while. Right? Because, look, you go on a bunch of concerts. It's easy to fall in love with somebody if y'all at concerts all the time. It's easy to fall in love. Especially like, Tevin Campbell concerts, can right? Can we talk? Um, you know, it's easy to, if you're going to fancy restaurants all the time, if you're just doing a bunch of things that are fun, it's easy to kind of be like, yeah, you're dope. Can you sit together for a week and do nothing and feel you accomplished? Everything was an important question for me. And it also let me know that I like you. I not only love you, but I actually like you. And, you know, I could kick it. Like, I can hang out with my wife. <laughs> we like each other. It's like, oh, you cool peoples, man. Give me some doubt. Fist bump. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That, uh, that's, that's brilliant. And, and what wonderful advice for our young folks in the studio. Or old folks, or old folks, folks like me yeah. that, uh, you know, like and love are very, very different things. They relate it. They relate it. But you know what I'm saying? You got to like people too. You got to figure, you know, uh, depending on your relationship, right? Because I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was about to say something. I, I, sometimes I'm too honest, but go, <laughs> I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, no, you can say whatever you want. I, you know, I was going to say, you know, there's all kind of people like, I love you, but I don't. There's people I see every day. I'm like, I don't really like you very much. Now people are going to be like, if they hear this, they're going to be like, is it me? Yes. If you're wondering if it's you, it's you. <laughs> if you have to wonder, it is you. <laughs> so let's move on to our uh, to our final break as we go in. This is a song by uh, Kendrick Lamar called All Right. Do you want to give us a quick thought? Yeah. So in the height of the protests, uh, you know, post uh, the murder of George Floyd and and the height, uh, even even before that, I mean, we we have seen a rash of of, of extrajudicial and judicial sort of murders of black people at a a sort of just continually excelled rate. Um, all right, I think became a kind of anthem for many of us that made us feel okay, um, that made us turn our energies uh, in in some very very healing. Uh, spaces. Uh, I remember being at a conference called Black Performance Theory, um, and it was—it's really more of a gathering than it was a conference. There's only like 30 of us there, and then at the end, this was in St. Louis, and at the it travels, but at the end of it, we had like a kind of let's just. They had a like a planned party kind of thing. Like we just all kind of listened to music and danced a little bit. There's a bunch of academics, and that song came on. And I remember just dancing with a bunch of academics whose work I admire, whose work I think has been so profound and so moving and so necessary, whose work I teach. 
And we're singing and dancing and crying because we knew for a moment that we was going to be all right. All right, by Kendrick Lamar. All's my life I has to fight. All's my life I hard times like yeah, bad trips like yeah, Nazareth. I'm fed up, homie. You fed up, but if God got us, then we gon' be alright. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I'll be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. Skimming, and let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in a twilight. We're pretty Benjamin is the highlight. I tell my mama I love her, but this is what I like. Lord knows, 20 of them in my Chevy. Tell them all to come and get me, reaping everything I sow. So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings on my record. I'm a gangsta in silence for the record. Uh. Tell the world I knew it's too late. Boys and girls, I think I've gone crazy. Trying to side my face is all day. Won't you please believe when I say? Wouldn't you know we've been hurt, been down before? When our pride was low, looking at the world like where do we go? And we hate Popo, wanna kill us dead in the street for sure. I'm at the preacher's door, my knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gon' be alright. You want you a house, you a car, 40 acres and a mule, a piano, a guitar, anything. See, my name is Lucy, I'm your dog. Mother, you can live at the mall. I can see the evil, I can tell it, I know it's illegal. I don't think about it, I deposit every other zero. Thinking of my partner, put the candy, painting on a Rico, digging in my pocket, and a profit big enough to feed you every day. My logic, get another dollar just to keep you in the presence of your Chico. Ah! I don't talk about it, be about it, every day I see cool. If I got it, then you know you got it, heaven, I can reach you. Pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all. That was All Right by Kendrick Lamar. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thanks, Sophie. So in our final segment, uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Javon Johnson, a professor from UNLV and an amazing poet and just uh, complete, well, not just completed, but his newest book is Ain't Never Not Been Black. And I strongly encourage you not only to, to pick up this book and read it, but to search him out on the the web and and see him perform some of these things there are 
are words that are amazingly put together, but when they're put together with the cadence of speech, they are transcendental. And I think oh, that, uh, that that is your work, certainly. Thank so in our last segment uh, of the radio show today, we talk about, we always go through this. This is things that bring us joy. So I'm going to start with you. Uh, Dr. Javon Johnson, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? I'm going to go with watching. I'm reading and listening to things all the time. I'm going to go with watching. Right now, what brings me absolute joy is 90 Day Fiance. It is, it's, it's, it's television gold. I don't know if you want me to say more than that, but it's, it's, it's chef's kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the ultimate like or the ultimate love? It's both. I, I love it. I like it. I, those producers, if I ever meet any one of them, I don't even hug people like that. They're getting hugs. If if, if they allow, they're getting them. I It's just, I don't know what else to say about that show. It's so good. Are you familiar with the concept? Uh, I Yes, but why don't you? So it's basically a show where Americans generally meet people from another country, fall in love, to maybe, um, and then apply for the K-1 visa. The reason it's called 90 Day is because once you get that visa and they come to this country, you have 90 days to marry them or not. So it's a it's an ultimate pooper, get off the potty type of situation. And the stakes, the, the, the stakes are just, I mean, because if you marry them and then you find out they're tricking you or whatever the case may be, which is what a lot of Americans are concerned with, you then are still stuck on the financial hook for them for up to 10 years. Oh, the stakes, the stakes. And I watch it, the cultural clashings, the concerns. Why does everybody in America think everybody outside of America is trying to take advantage of them? No one is coming to, you know, he left the beaches of wherever to live. Uh, it, it, uh, I could, I'm going to teach a class on this one day. I, I, I promise you. you. I, it's so good. There you go. Thank you. All right, Reese Whitaker, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So this week, I haven't been really, haven't got the chance to watch or read or listen to anything. I've been really excited about the, so the Super Bowl just ended, and then Super Bowl 58 next year is going to be in my hometown of Vegas. So they revealed the campaign, and I've been nerding out over the logo, because the new style of Super Bowl logos is very creative compared to what it's been for the past 15 years. So I really like the colors that they picked and the the Vegas roots going into the logo. But I did want to say, and I almost talked about it during the break, is that I want to get this book that we've been talking about because when Javon has been talking, especially in the last break, about the food that his family cooked or the taco truck, you you talk like a poet. And I feel like when you're talking to us, you're making new poetry with your cadence and stuff. And every poem that you've read has been fantastic. Thank you, thank you. And I, I can't wait to read it. Thank and you. I don't like reading. I'm going to say that right now. That's fine. I, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. There you go. Evan Miller, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? Recently I've been reading or rather listening to a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, it's really changed my perspective on a lot of things. It's basically a comprehensive breakdown of how to build habits, how to you know break mm-hmm. bad habits, things like that. And for my first semester of college, it's been very helpful to maximize my time. Right. All right. The moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> my friend Sophie Javage, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So I was thinking about this this morning, and 
what brings me joy is my relationships with other people. And after we went to dinner last night, I I got my parents sent me flowers for Valentine's Day and so I was calling them last night and telling them thank you. And I I spent the next like hour and a half just talking on the phone with my dad and we were talking about this show that I introduced to them over Christmas break and I really didn't think they were going to watch it when I left but my dad had started talking about how he had been watching it and he's like all the way like on season three and there's like 24 episodes each season and it's called the blacklist and it's like Mm -hmm. murder mystery kind of ish it's it's really good but it just brought me so much joy that i can share this show with my dad even though i'm not living at home right now but like we know what's going on we have something to talk about and so that's what's sparking me joy this week yeah it's pretty good okay ryan what are you watching, reading, or listening to that is sparking you joy? Well, as you know, I have been a big fan of the comic book since I was a kid, been <laughs> collecting for many, many years. So I am enjoying immensely Netflix's adaptation of The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. And if you've never seen The Sandman or read The Sandman, The Sandman is the, the Lord of Dreams mm-hmm. uh, with his siblings' despair and death and desire and destiny. And uh, I strongly recommend, if you like poetry, you read Neil Gaiman's writing of The Sandman. But that is an amazing adaptation of his award-winning comic series. Uh, So that's it. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to the Apex Radio Hour. We'll go out with uh, Javon Johnson's last song, Never Would Have Made It by Marvin Sapp. You have a quick word about that? It's the... I, I, I still love black gospel music like nobody's business. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's just a beautiful song about perseverance. Um, and mostly Marvin Sapp is talking about perseverance thanks to uh, you know his Lord and Savior. Um, and I just think that message alone is amazing. And here's the wonderful part about it. I think if you're not Christian, I think you can get a really profound spiritual experience from this song uh, of perseverance, even outside of that. So I think it, it works on, on both of those levels. And it's it's a song that I often return to that I thought I would share. OK, thank you. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Javon. And this is uh, Never Would Have Made It by Marvin Sapp. Never would have made it. Never could have made it without you. I would have lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me. And I can say, never would have made it. Never could have made it without you I would have lost it all but now I see how you were there for me and I can say I'm stronger I'm wiser I'm better much better when I look back over all you brought me
Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on Thunder 91. We would love for you to come to our events on campus. For more information, check out suu.edu apex. Until next time, that was the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1.